And we're back, folks, another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider and excited to talk about progress, progress on the court for this team. You know, you look back at what we saw in the Illinois game and everything that we've seen since. This is a team that's been different coming off the pause. Joining me as he does every single episode to talk about what we're seeing from these hardwood Wolverines. This is a guy who wore the uniform for the Maize and Blue, was a first-round draft pick in the NBA, and now is one of the best basketball commentators in the land, my friend Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Sam. And and I, I was just thinking, you, you said a word that resonated, progress. Um, 12 days ago, Michigan was 7-7. Seven and seven, And Joe Lenardi said, oh, you're not in the tournament. Uh, I, I heard from so many people, Devontae Jones should lose his job to Frankie Collins. He can't play. He's lousy. The freshmen are overrated. Why is Eli so passive? And today, the, the possibilities seem endless. I, I didn't like the Northwestern game, um, but I understand how it happened. Definitely a trap game. No flow. Horrible officiating. Uh, Northwestern has some, some talented scores. And, and they got hot while Michigan reverted for that, 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 that second half malaise that they, they've had so many times this year. Um, what was it from? High turnovers, uncertainty, passive D. And all of a sudden, they were down seven with five to go. And Hunter and Musa were sitting. And I was exasperated. I wanted to throw something. And I just kept thinking, Michigan has to win this game. Um, the consequences would be catastrophic. Maybe catastrophic is too strong of a word because it is still so early. But a loss would undo all the positive work that they've done for the last week. It would be a major distraction in the game prep for Michigan State. Um, a, lo a loss causes you to spend a lot of time rehashing and trying to figure things out. But just by winning, you take a deep breath. Let's move on. And now they're 100% focused on Saturday. Right. So, you know, looking back at, at Illinois, they had to play that game without Hunter. Uh, you're going again. Uh, you're going in against Kofi Coburn, right? Uh, you saw every guy sort of take a piece, including Jace Howard, who I thought was uh, it was a spirited effort. They lost that game in the final four minutes. It was a nip-tuck game that they pulled away. Trent Frazier, they couldn't keep him uh, from getting to the rim. But I saw some ingredients in that game, Tim, that I thought if, if they can do this, if they can get after it defensively, commit on that end, right, control pace when they need it to, if we can see different guys step up around Hunter and the way that we saw them stepping up in that game without him, that they could get some, some contests here in the coming days, get some momentum heading into Michigan State, and that's exactly what we've seen happen. They beat Maryland. And then that game in Assembly Hall, which is where I want to pick this conversation up, man, they went out there. And while Hunter is the biggest story, think about the other big-time step-ups that we saw, guys like Terrence Williams, for instance, who came forward with big games, Tim. It was really pretty incredible. And it was Michigan's best game of the year versus the Hoosiers at both ends. They scored 80 points. The offense was was crisp. It was it was confident. Fifty seven percent from the field, sixty five percent from three. Um, they were plus eighteen beyond the arc. They played with so much energy, and it reminded me of last year. And and Assembly Hall, man, that's a hard place to play. And and I can remember being as a freshman, 
and just being overwhelmed by by the pageantry of it all the red and the candy stripe sweatpants and bobby knight and they had mike woodson and and you know ted kitchell and all these guys that landon turner and ray tolbert and um looking back on that i learned a lesson my 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 freshman year that i think that caleb houston is starting to learn um i got done with the end of my freshman year and i realized that you know, I, I had been playing basketball for, for 12 years. And I realized at that time I had never actually run as fast as I could. You know, I, I, um, I spent my whole youth and, and my high school career going half speed, pacing myself. You know, I wasn't coming out of the game and I, you know, I, I played defense to avoid foul trouble and I, you know, always ran faster to offense than I did back to defense. And after my freshman year, and, and Thad Garner um, was the guy that I, I really followed and watched. And Mike McGee, who was the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer when he left, those guys ran really hard. And, and so I, I, I feel like Caleb Houston and the other freshmen, Frankie Collins may not be on that list because he runs really hard all the time. But, but you can't jog and you, you can't half step it. You, you've got to go all out. And that was the first time this year that I saw Michigan really, really give amazing effort. And, and, and also, Sam, I think it's important to think about the fact that um, you've got to be real about assessing your team. That Indiana game is not truly who Michigan is. That, that was their A game. Everything worked. Houston was on fire. Terrence Williams couldn't miss. Dickinson, if he's going to ever send a resume tape to the NBA, that's <laughs> the game he should send. Right. Okay. He right. looked like an NBA player in that game. Um, and, and then on the other side, Indiana was flat after a rival win. Um, they're better than they showed. So, so the truth is somewhere in between. Indiana's strength is their big guys and Michigan schemed to close the lane and did a really good job against TJD and race Thompson. Those guys struggled. Um, but you know, the, 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 the main point is that was their first Q one win. And, and if they get into the NCAA tournament, that was the first building block. So a lot to be proud of from the Indiana game. Yeah. So look, they obviously won't shoot like that. <laughs> they won't shoot as well as they shot in that game. But I think there's something to be said for a couple of things about how they got there, how they got those shots. They cut hard, Tim. They cut with a purpose. You know, they, you saw solid screens and guys moving without the basketball and great ball and player movement. And so the quality of shot was different for those guys. I think, you know, more, I guess I didn't necessarily think that, that Indiana was flat out of the gate, uh, at least from the outside looking in. Uh, it to me, it seemed like they they got stunned a bit when their when their scout when their game plan defensive game plan got blown up. They were going to try to take take Hunter away, and uh, they, these guys can't beat us from the perimeter. And next thing you know, what was uh, I think I think Caleb was two for twenty one for 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 three heading into that game. Uh, you know, in, in recent games, he's hitting threes. Terrence Williams is. You know, two for two from three-point range. Like, where are these shots coming from? So while they won't hit them with the frequency that they hit them in that game, 
man, if they if they repeat the process, Tim, of how they got those shots, I, I think the the quality of shot can certainly lead to them shooting it better than we saw them shoot it earlier in the season. Well, also really good ball movement, better screens and hard cuts. They give you an extra foot of space from the defense, and that's all you need. When when you watch really close, if if Terrence Williams and Caleb Houston, who combined for seven for nine from three, <laughs> if they have a chance to catch it and take a little bit of a breath and and kind of just just flow right into their shot, they don't miss. They, they are pure shooters. Not as much Terrence, but but Caleb for sure. But if you speed him up just a millisecond, it changes everything about his shot. And there's a good chance as he gets older and stronger, it'll become more about the release that, that dictates whether his shot goes in. But right now, he needs everything working. He needs balance. He needs to get a good lift. He needs to have a chance to, you know, to really concentrate on his shot. And, and, and so by playing hard and executing the offense and doing everything else, it just gave them that extra split second, that extra foot of clearance to be able to get your shot off. Tim, you said something that stuck with me that I want to make sure we get to before we go to the Northwestern game. You said you you would play to not pick up fouls. That, you know, in addition to pacing yourself, you sort of made sure that foul trouble wasn't going to take you out of a game. So they get in the second half versus Indiana, and Hunter picks up his third foul very early. Right. And so, you know, in John Beeline's time, that that's an auto bench. She's got to go to the bench for, for some time. And, that you know, the auto benching plan was really, really effective for, for John Beeline. You see Juwan taking a different tact and he took it in that moment. He left Hunter in the game. And I was like, man, this is a risk. And next thing you know, man, Hunter goes out and makes like four or five plays in succession. And doesn't pick up a foul. He doesn't pick up his fourth foul until the final couple of minutes of the game when, when Michigan is basically closing it out. It, to me, was, A, a really good and important decision by Juwan, and then, B, maybe the most mature game we've seen Hunter play. Wow. You know what it's like? If you go to Vegas and you're playing blackjack and you just keep hitting 21, like you just, you, you, know, you know that that the gods are smiling on you. But long term, it's dangerous. And if Hunter got his fourth foul on a bad call, Michigan may lose that game. Mm-hmm. And and so it was a huge gamble. And and one thing that that I, I bet that that it's a really important win. And Jawan knew it, and he wanted that win because you know I, I think he's got bad memories of Assembly Hall. <laughs> but I right. I bet that he thought back to the North Carolina game. And, and the fact that Hunter went out with foul trouble and they never were able to get back in the game. So it was a calculated gamble. But I have to tell you this. If I'm Hunter Dickinson, the next time Devontae Jones or Eli Brooks starts to dribble before I set my screen and I get a foul, I'm going to grab them by the collar and I'm going to look them in the eyes and say, slow down, dude. I, I'm not going to set any screen to free you up if you're going to leave early like that, that is unacceptable. And, and, and also one other thing I would tell Hunter is, is one thing that I learned early on is when I start a game, I pretend I've already got my first foul. Okay. I, I want to be ahead of the game and I want to be aware of it. 
and I'm not going to pick up that dumb foul over the back. When I set a screen, I'm going to make sure that my feet are set before the dribbler goes. And, and if he starts to go early, I'm backing out. I'm, I'm sliding away, no contact. You know, I'll try it again next time. So, so Hunter cannot get in foul trouble. I repeat, cannot get in foul trouble if Michigan is going to live up to their potential. Yeah, no doubt. And look, we've talked about guards being uh, at fault often for some of those moving screens. That was a big topic for us last year and talking about some of the fouls that Hunter would pick up. Uh, some of the offensive fouls he'd pick up setting screens. It wasn't always his fault. And certainly as we get into this Northwestern game, it's like, dude, <laughs> Devon, DJ, come on, brother. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> let's be real. Let's you you set me up for failure here, bro. And Take I think, a step back. Yep. Yeah, Take a breath. I, yeah, I think that's going to be definitely something that is hit upon and harped upon in, in practice. But let's let's take a moment to talk about Northwestern and, you know, and, and how closely they played several teams. You look at the at the record and you automatically downplay the significance of this victory. But when you consider all the Big Ten games they played close, I think the stat was you know, they, had, they hadn't lost a game by more than eight points, and they obviously had upset Michigan State. This is a squad that can be a very tough out. So Michigan in this contest, you had the bad officiating to contend with, and then you had them being very loose with the basketball, turnover issues. I wonder if you think there's a common theme to what's leading to the turnovers, Tim. But And then Hunter and Musa being on the bench, they found a way on a night where they didn't play their best to win. I just, even with it being Northwestern, based on all the things I just said, Tim, I think that, that was a sign of progress that they could not be playing like they played against Indiana and, and still find a way to gut one out. It was, um, it was really a, an interesting game. And, and I, um, I noticed something in the first half that, that, caught me off guard. Maybe you noticed this too. Every time that Northwestern took the ball out of bounds or got a, a rebound, Chris Collins was was begging and pleading and urging his guys to go fast, push the ball, get it up. And I thought, wow, this is really different than any other Northwestern team I've seen. And and I, I think they're playing faster now. I, I like a lot of their athletes. I wasn't a big Boo Booey fan early in his career, but he's really improved. And and Adige loves to score. They did a pretty good job defensively on him. They've got some post presence. This Northwestern team is pretty good. They've got a couple of Big Ten wins so far. And and they knocked off Michigan State on the road. That's a big one. Um, but But the thing that I liked the most was their defensive approach against Hunter Dickinson. If you double team Hunter hard, he's so big and his he's like like John Elway used to be able to throw the ball over the defensive line. You know, Cade McNamara sidearms a little bit and he's not that tall, so he throws it into the defensive arms. But but Hunter, if you double team him, he can go right over the top. What we saw yesterday from Northwestern is they had a spy defensively. It was a guard. And he was five feet away and his presence was looming all the time. And Hunter knew as soon as he dribbled middle, that double team was going to jump him and he might get a turnover. And, and so that was a big key to the game because Hunter never figured it out. And I'm sure that's something 
that, that Phil and Sadi and Juwan and, and Howard and the whole crew are talking about today because every team in the Big Ten is watching what everybody does, and if something works, they go to it. So I think Michigan State will probably be doing that. Um, it's, it's not a hard double. It's passive, but it's very obvious. And, and with Hunter, man, he's got to be decisive. When he sees that double team, you've got three to five seconds to make a decisive move. Dribble, dribble, shot. You know, don't mess around with it. And, and if he forces it a little bit, takes one hard dribble to the middle, then another dribble to the baseline and go to that jump hook, he's still a better than 50% shooter with that. That's good offense. So I, I, I just want him to be more aggressive getting his shot off. Yeah, so you mentioned that, that moment in the game where they're down seven. We had seen Hunter be on the bench, uh, and they just looked totally discombobulated with him out. I mean, who's who do we go to? Who? How do we get our offense here? It just seemed like a bunch of guys trying to figure that out. Then when he was out and couldn't come back, whether it was a product of of the experience they had earlier in the game, Tim, where they were discombobulated, like I said, or the realization that Hunter's not coming back. He's on the bench. He's not coming back. One of us, has, we've got to find a way without him. He's on the bench, and then you get big plays from Jaron Falls, who, who gets subbed in. And I want, I want your thoughts on that coming up. But Jaron Falls gets subbed in. He immediately he comes in. He's on a roll, and he finds Caleb Houston in the corner. I mean, it's outstanding vision. Right Passes right in the shooting pocket. Bucket. Terrence Williams, three-pointer. Bang. Jaron Falls, defense on the other end. I mean, you got Jaron Falls, Terrence Williams, and Caleb Houston. Of course, you got a big, uh, you know, a big shot in there from from Devontae Jones and some some key plays down the stretch from him too. Uh, but those those other three, Caleb, Jaron Falls, and Terrence Williams, stepping up in the clutch, Tim. I, I think that's big for this team. I, I know. Again, we're talking about Northwestern. But for those guys to come up big in that moment, for them to find a way with Hunter on and Musa on the bench, I think is significant for this team. Man, you said a lot. You got to throw Javante Jones. DJ was huge. Michigan doesn't win that game without him down the stretch. But let me um, let me answer your first question because you talked about Jaron Falls, and and look with Hunter and Musa done for the night. Jaron did really well. Um, his kick out to Caleb was was the best play of his career. That, that was the play of his life. But here's the deal, and I know where you're going with this. Why isn't Brandon Johns out yeah, there? Exactly. He's a Big Ten athlete. He's had some shining moments. If he's healthy, he needs to be on the court. Now, I know his shoe fell off. I don't know if he ever went back in. He did not right? go back in. Yeah, and I I don't know. He's got to tie his shoes tighter. How does a high-top shoe just slip off? Um, maybe his shoe is damaged. I don't know why he didn't go back in. But here's why I'm concerned. Game on the line, free throws. Boo-booey offensive rebound, okay? That's at 15 seconds to go. Five seconds to go, Pete Nance, offensive rebound. Two seconds left, Pete Nance, offensive rebound. You've got to have your Big Ten athlete, your 6'10 guy that can play above the rim, this experience with checking out. He's, che he's checked out Isaac Haas before. He's checked out Trevion Williams. Like, he knows how to check out and clear a rebound. I think that was really dangerous. 
Pete Nance laid it in just after the buzzer. That would have been a horrible way to have your game go to overtime. Yeah, you know, so I'm speculating here, Tim. I don't have any inside intel on this, but I, I want you to go with me on it and, and see what you think. Because mm-hmm. I asked, you know, on the radio show, I asked the same question to our guest from, from the MGO blog uh, site. I, his shoe comes off, and they get a five-on-four on the other end, and he's down with his shoe. And part of me wonders if – Jawan was just pissed off by that. Mm-hmm. Now, now, again, this is just – I don't know that. But you, you just mentioned we've seen Brandon Johns defend Isaac Haas, right? And so Jawan said after the game he went to Jaron Falls because for, – for size. But like you just said, we've seen Brandon Johns defend Isaac Haas, right? So to me, there's something more there. And I, I, I just – I think it's a message. I, it, something about that moment with that shoe, something happened at that time because he did – or was he banged up? I don't know. Something happened in that moment where he wasn't getting back in that game. Yeah, I don't know if you can run back with one shoe and one sock. Um, maybe I'm, we need to get tack, him some of those shoes. Tackle the or something, man. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Maybe he needs Velcro. Get him the Velcro <laughs> shoes. Um but but yeah, I was concerned about that, and and immediately I thought, no, go with Brandon. He he's going to get it done for you. He like I just keep thinking about when when Michigan was thin on the front line when Musa couldn't play, and and all of a sudden, I think that was Nebraska. Brandon Brandon likes to feel like he's the man and he's out there. And um, but hey, before before we go away from from the end of that game. Man, I was so tired of people criticizing DJ. Um, he's no good. He's no Mike Smith. Frankie's bet. And we talked about it on the last podcast. You've got to have patience. This is your team. Buy in. Root for them. It, it's part of the journey. And and I, I can see he's gaining so much confidence. I like his game. I know Devontae Jones has some flaws, but he's tough. and He's smart. and He's getting better. And those free throws were massively important. He played good defense. He is a good Big Ten guard. Yeah, man, and he closes out on that on that final shot attempt <laughs> that that Northwestern had. That's that's yes. no small thing either that yeah. that he did. So you know, great point, uh, Tim. And you know, the his thing, the thing you're talking to him about is, hey, dude, uh, don't get Hunter in foul trouble. You you're contributing to the foul issues for for Hunter in this game. So don't do that again. Uh, but yeah. but but hey, great Sam, great toughness me, from him. Let, let me ask you a question. Um, I know that Eli Brooks has a key place in Michigan basketball history. Most wins, clutch, elite eight, Big Ten champs. He, he's a hero, um, and I know they call him the professor. I want them to call him the shooter or the gunner or the, you know what whatever because that guy needs to shoot more. And I I was looking at his numbers. I know he had 12 points yesterday, but it mainly happened within a two-minute span. Right. He had two points against Indiana, seven versus Maryland, seven against Illinois. What's going on in your mind with Eli, and, and are you with me on this? I, I hear you. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's him just trying to be more deferential, trying to set other guys up, try focusing more on 
the leadership aspect of it. Because you see, I see Eli talking a lot. I mean, he's he's talking. He is doing the coach on the floor thing, game in and game out. Whether that's holding guys accountable uh, when it comes to scolding them or encouraging them or directing traffic. There is, I can see that, a very sort of focused effort on that. Is that causing his his offense or his aggressiveness offensively to, to suffer? I, I don't know. Uh, but it's certainly something that I think from a coaching standpoint, they were telling Caleb, hey, shoot, you got to shoot. You got to keep shooting when he was struggling. Maybe even though Eli's a, a, a wily veteran, maybe they have to do the same thing with him because at the end of the day, he is one of your best shooters. Uh, and if one of your best shooting isn't shooting, it does wind up hurting the team. Yeah, I, I, um, I think you make some really good points about the leadership, but, but he's too unselfish to me. And, and he's a pure shooter, and he can be a really crafty scorer, and he's capable of more, and we need it. I would rather have Eli Brooks force a contested shot than a wide-open shot by anybody else other than Caleb Houston. And, and when you look at the way that Eli plays, and I'm going to say this about Caleb as well. I think that there's an opportunity for both of them to drive to the kill zone. That's that 10-foot spot right in the middle of the lane and pull up right there. You know, it, you can shoot it a little bit long, a little bit you know, short, and, and you've got the chance for the soft touch and the bucket. Um, I think Caleb, that's the next step of his game. Can you drive and just come to a jump stop and rise up 10 feet right in the little middle of the lane? Um, another part of that is think about it. When Eli and Caleb drive to the lane and put up a shot, who's got the best offensive rebounders in the Big Ten? Michigan does. With Hunter and Musa in the paint, they should be able to dominate the offensive glass. This is this is another thing about last night that made me really mad. If if you look at the fact that Musa played 22 minutes and Hunter played 30 minutes. That's 52 minutes of action. One offensive rebound between the two of them in 52 minutes. That's not good enough, Sam. That's a blown opportunity. I know transition defense is really important, but I, I think the, that tandem right there should lead the Big Ten in offensive rebounds. Well, they can't do that in this next game, Tim, as we sort of focus on Michigan State. Uh, yeah, you, you have got to be, you got to be grown men on the glass against this team. I mean, they, they keep showing those highlights of his old pulling out the football pads for a reason. That's how they treat rebounding the basketball. But this is a Michigan State team that, while highly ranked and they have had some real flashes, here lately they've shown some, some, some vulnerability, some real vulnerability. So there's the Northwestern team that Michigan just beat. They went clip Michigan State. But then – I mean, just as surprising to me as that, you know, not exaggerating when I say this, I was just as surprised to see them lose to Illinois. Why? Because Michigan State is a highly rated team going into Champaign, of course, but but into Champaign not having to face Kofi, Kofi Coburn, not having to face Curbelo. Both of those guys were out in this contest, and were it not for the refs, Maybe Illinois wins that game going away. It was surprising that Michigan State had a chance uh, at the end. They wound up missing free throws uh, to have a chance to tie or a free throw to have a chance to tie it. But 
you, you get my drift here, Tim. I, I just lately with Michigan State, I've seen a couple of things that make them seem really, really beatable. I agree with you. And and one of them is you're never really sure, you know, who, who's going to be their guy. Now, I've known Gabe Brown since he was in high school, and I like him a lot. Great kid. And and he he has improved immensely. Um, I, I think that he is clearly their best player. Max Christie will be the best pro, and, and he's got a great upside, but he's only a freshman. If you look at Big Ten stats, Gabe Brown is the only Spartan in the top 30 of Big Ten scoring. And, 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 and so that's going to be a tough matchup. And I think that his last home game against Michigan, he, he's going to be fired up. Um, I, I look at Michigan State as a good veteran team, not a great team. Uh, they're very deep on the front line, but but with Bingham and Hall and Hauser and Marble, they've got a bunch of good players, but but there's not really a standout that you're worried about. And and if if you look at their Illinois game, they only scored 55 points. Um, it, it was a game that Max Christie looked like a freshman. He he looked a little bit nervous. Um, Tyson Walker and Hogard at the point. Don't don't worry me. Actually, my favorite players on that team are Marble and Hall. They're v- very tough and they're physical. And Sam, when we talk next week, I, I, I think that that you're going to say, "Wow, you were correct about Marble and Hall. Those guys, they played Hunter Strong. They made big shots. They played hard." Um, I think I think it's going to be a low scoring game if Michigan expects to win. I think this, the, the 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 big problem is going to be Michigan will struggle from three. And and for them to win, Michigan State's going to have to struggle with their ball handling. Uh, Hunter Dickinson needs to be the best player in the court. And Caleb Houston needs to be the best freshman in the court. Also, where is Eli? Remember, I don't want him to be the professor. I want him to be the gunner. I, he needs to get up 10-plus shots and, and, and really take this thing personal. Are you surprised? I, you know, I'm not the only one. I talk to a lot of media folks around the Big Ten. I'm not the only one that thought this might be a breakout season for Marcus Bingham. Are you surprised that it's been so up and down for him? Well, it, it's um, it's not surprising because I think this is the way he's played throughout his career. Uh, Hunter Dickinson's going to be a tough matchup for him. He's gotten better every year, and and I I um I like a lot of things he does, but with his high center of gravity. His biggest issue is that when you look in the the, the, the Big Ten, um, everybody's got a big physical center, and that's a hard matchup for him. He loses position. He gets knocked off his shot. He's averaging right around 10 and 7, so the, the, those numbers are respectable. Um, but, but if you are ever waiting for him to be an all-Big Ten caliber player, it just it's not happening. Back in my day, he, he plays a little bit like Granville Waiters did at Ohio State. Um, you know, he, he was fairly highly recruited and you could see the athleticism, but he just was so skinny that in a, in a physical league, it makes it tough. Yeah. So we, we talked about being able to pick up some momentum heading into this game. Wow. If they get this game, uh, you know, not I'm not getting too far ahead of myself talking about. Uh, you are. I'm, you are. I, I, I'm not saying that they're going <laughs> to compete for the title or anything like that, but. But Tim, I mean, the picture for this team looks it does look different if you can go into East Lansing and, and get that game, get that contest. And where am I going with this? Hunter said 
we are playing like the team everyone thought we were heading into the year. <laughs> uh, and, and now, now he didn't say that like they had arrived and they didn't have any other place to go. Uh, but again, you beat Michigan State. Suddenly, that that focus, that 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 respect, that expectation that people have for you at the beginning of the year, suddenly that that starts to come back. Is this team ready to handle that? Number one, and then number two, are you ready to live up to that? Because you aren't going to be sneaking up on any teams. I think they sn- they snuck up on Indiana a little bit. With with the way they shot the basketball, right? You go into Michigan State, you got you get this four game momentum. You aren't sneaking up on anyone, uh, including they're going to have two matchups with Purdue as they just announced that game, uh, the second game on on the tenth. So that makeup game is going to happen. They're going to be face, facing Purdue two times in like five or six days, Tim. So I'm curious what your outlook, what your view of this team would be, will be if they go in and beat Michigan State. Man, Sam, you you always take me right where I want to go. Your sage wisdom. You, th- this is basically the question you're asking: Who's the best team in the Big Ten this year? And it's a rhetorical. You you can't actually answer it this year. It's so wide open. Now Illinois is in first place, but they've got two losses. And then you've got Michigan State, Wisconsin, and I believe Ohio State with two losses too. Um, so th- this might be a surprising question for people, but the hottest team in the Big Ten with three straight wins, it's Michigan, okay? Maryland and Ohio State are the only teams with two straight. And you beat Michigan State on the road Saturday, and everything changes immediately. Um, You've got Nebraska at home after that. That's another win. And then you go on the road with a chance to to play Purdue, and you're saying to yourself, my gosh, you know, we – we were being talked about if we get hot, maybe we can get into the NIT with a, a plus 500 record this year. Now, all of a sudden, you're saying we can go to Purdue and beat them. OK, we match up really well with them. And, and if we do that, all of a sudden we're back in the race for a Big Ten championship. Um, six conference losses could get you a share of the Big Ten this year. And that's crazy. Is, is that kind of where you wanted to go? Yeah, with man. Fan? Yeah. Now, now again, a- it gets really it, it does get really hairy. Uh, starting with that Purdue game, because you play Purdue, and as I just pulled up the schedule, you play Purdue two times in five days now. So you, you'll play them on the fifth at their place. Then you play, and that's a Saturday. Then you go to Penn State, play Penn State at Penn State on Tuesday. Then then two days later, the makeup game with Purdue, you play them at Chrysler on Thursday. And then a couple of days after that, you play Ohio State. So it, it gets really – it's going to be a really sort of gauntlet stretch there starting with that Purdue game. But, but that's why this momentum is, is so key to pick up now. We talked about momentum heading into Michigan State. Now you need momentum heading into that gauntlet stretch I'm talking about, Tim. Uh, and, and trust me, when you think about the fact that you're playing Purdue twice, and, man, that's going to be a hard one to win – Forget that. It, I mean, we're talking about trying to be a Big Ten champ. Yeah. And if you're any good, if you're capable of doing that, you've got to go into that stretch saying, you know, I know we're going to win one game. If we can win two, then we're in really good shape. And if you win one of those games, that's going to resonate really strong when they get in that room to figure out your seed for the NCAA tournament. So, I, look, if, if Michigan can't win those games, then then maybe this is all a mirage. And, and they're not, not, not as good potential as we think. 
but but I believe that that they're going into those games to win. And and now all of a sudden, rather than you know the sky is falling, we're, we're thinking that that their potential could be sky high. And I like that better. Yeah, and this is uh, this team is definitely growing. They're definitely growing. Uh, this would be a huge one if they can pick it up on on Saturday though at Michigan State, getting them on track to to be having that conversation that we just had about okay now what's the outlook for this team uh, in the race? No one is really saying that right now, even though Michigan is only a game back from those squads that you just mentioned with two losses. But no one's really talking about them in that conversation. You win at Michigan State, suddenly they are, and that that will come with some challenge. That will come with some pressure and some scrutiny. And so we'll see how they deal with that. But, Tim, always, always a pleasure, my friend, to catch back up with you. I got to ask you, before we go, how do you see this Michigan State game playing? You, 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 you sort of gave me the scouting report on Michigan State. You didn't tell me how you think it's going to go. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I, I think that, that Hunter Dickinson is going to be really tough to stop. And, and um, I, I'm predicting a low-scoring game, mid-50s. I, I'm going to say, you know, Michigan 58, Michigan State 57. There you go, folks. From your lips, Tim, from your lips. Appreciate it as always. Folks, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it. Be sure to review it. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. They can find it wherever you get their podcast. Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Just search Michigan Insider, uh, Michigan Basketball Insider. Either one will bring up this podcast. And we'll see you next time here on the Michigan Basketball Insider.